Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Nurse Mama Show, the home of happy parents and healthy teens on American Family Radio. Here's your host, Dr. Jessica Peck. Hey friends, I'm Dr. Jessica Peck, pediatric nurse practitioner, professor, author, and mom of four. Today on the show, we have a great guest. You are going to love her. She's going to make you smile when you hear her talk. Her name is Taylor Joy Murray. Taylor is an author, a speaker, and soon-to-be licensed therapist, so exciting, Taylor, who is passionate (laughs) about seeing her generation come awake to the love, action, and presence of God in their lives. She is the author of Stop Saying I'm Fine, Finding Stillness When Anxiety Screams. Taylor, thank you so much for being with us today. It's so great to be here. Well, I met Taylor actually online. I picked up a copy of her book. I'm always looking for books about mental health. And I thought that her book was so compelling because it was written from a personal perspective of someone in Gen Z experiencing anxiety. So Taylor, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, like you said, I'm a grad student right now um, working towards my licensure in clinical mental health counseling. I actually still live on campus, so I'm recording from my dorm room right Yay! now. Um, yeah. I've also been writing for as long as I can remember. I think I wrote my first book about a frog when I was four. And I folded a piece of paper in four and wrote a little story about That a is adorable. And yeah, and that's when I I think I first realized my love for words and for writing. And so I've I wrote I've been writing for as long as I can remember. I wrote my first traditionally published book when I was 13. And it was just wow. processing um my family's I'm a missionary kid, so it was processing my family's cross-cultural experiences um in that transition overseas. And then yeah, um my second book was just published, Stop Saying I'm Fine, and that book is all about anxiety. Well, this book is really authentic and transparent mm-hmm. and it's courageous, Taylor. And I'm going to read you a quote that you have in here. You said, It's felt really daunting and risky to try to put words to this journey, requiring me to travel inside myself in an attempt to make sense of my story. But as we walk together, I pray I've opened up a pathway for you to do the same. I pray that as you settle into this process and begin to peer inward, you'll discover that the healing you long for isn't as distant as it seems. So Taylor, that is so hopeful and so Mm -hmm. real. And I know already so many people listening are thinking, oh my gosh, yes, that's me. So can you tell us about your struggle with anxiety? Yeah. So I also, I think around the same time that I wrote that book about a frog when I was four, I remember struggling with anxiety. And so anxiety has been a part of my story for a really long time. I remember having panic attacks at a really young age and, you know, growing up through elementary school and middle school and high school, I didn't really have words for the struggle. I didn't know what was happening inside of me or how to communicate it to other people. I didn't really even know I was struggling with anxiety until maybe around 17 or 18. And um, during high school, my struggle with anxiety kind of 
reached um, its worst point. And actually, it was during a gap year program um, after I'd graduated high school when I was 18 that I I found myself on a fetal position in the bathroom floor, Mm. um, just in the middle of a panic attack. And at that point, um, I began to, well, one, I said, I'm not fine for the first time. And I began a really, really long um, journey of healing. And I think I began to realize that um, there was a story behind my anxiety that I needed to understand and to dig into. And as I began to do that um, in my own story and in my own life, I I started my freshman year um, at college. And as I was surrounded by other Gen Zers, I began to see that anxiety is so overwhelmingly pre- prevalent in Gen Z, and I wanted to to write about it. Well, you said something really important that I really want to emphasize. You said that once you were able to find the courage to say that you weren't fine, you mm-hmm. began a long journey to recovery. And you talk about a defining moments, but there are a lot of defining moments, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of ups and downs and victories and setbacks. And so what hope can you give to those who want to just be better right now? And they're frustrated with the slowness or messiness of that journey. Yeah, I think one of the prayers that I prayed when my anxiety was at its worst over and over again, I prayed, God, can you please just fix me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was my prayer. That was what I wanted to just be fixed. I just wanted my anxiety to instantly go away. But as I began my own process of healing, I began to realize that being fixed isn't the same as being healed. Wow. And that being healed doesn't mean that my anxiety will ever or instantly go away. I think my healing journey with anxiety has been learning to befriend it and to to learn how to live with it rather than view it as an enemy, but to view it more um, with compassion. I I think my journey has been so nonlinear, even when I... I submitted my the last um, manuscript for Stop Saying I'm Fine. I, I read the book through one last time, and I just began to see this circular process that I hadn't noticed before of me saying I'm not fine, getting help, um, moving forward, getting better, saying I'm not fine, getting help. And <laughs> it was a circular process of me of me doing this. And, and I began to realize that this process of victories and setbacks and ups and downs, that's part of the journey. Like that's part of what it looks like to, to, to heal. And so if you're experiencing that right now, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And it's, it's not really about whether or not you have a setback because setbacks are part of the journey, but it's how we respond to it. And I think that's, that's really changed um, how I've even seen my own journey. I think we probably cannot even realize the power of this moment when people are listening and thinking, having an aha moment, like Mm -hmm. being fixed is not the same thing as being healed. Wow. Yeah. So what does it look like to learn and use coping skills in a disciplined and intentional way? Like what rhythms are important for you in the midst of that circular pattern? Mm Yeah. 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 I think for me, part of my story, um, you know, after that, 
bathroom floor moment when I was 18 was 10 weeks of residential treatment. And so therapy has been a huge part of my healing process. And um, I think going into residential treatment, I just began to learn how important self-awareness is Mm -hmm. in being able to utilize coping skills. And um, the more that I began to actually connect to the emotions that I was experiencing in my body in the moment, And the more I was able to, you know, identify like when I'm feeling anxious, like I feel this sensation in my body or these are the thoughts in my brain that I began to be able to in the moment begin to understand and, um, you know, from from my like little coping skills toolbox, be able to pull out the, the coping skill that would be best, you know, in this moment, you know, even for me so much of my own, I'm still not, I still struggle with anxiety right now. Like it's not, it's been a a part of my story that's continued, but I've learned more of how to live well with. And even just looking ahead to this week, okay, what do I need? Like, is it sleep? Is it um, exercise? Is it deep breathing? And is it processing out what I'm feeling with another person, um, with another trusted person? So I think self-awareness has been huge and just being able to identify those emotions that I'm experiencing, what's underneath my anxiety, and then how to um, to move forward with it in a way that's healthy. Well, Taylor, you also talk a lot about your faith and your experience and the shame that you struggled yeah. with as a part of wrestling with your faith. One of the quotes in your book says, I certainly don't believe anxiety is solely a spiritual problem, but faith has been an integral part of my journey. So Mm -hmm. what has that part of your journey been like? Yeah, a lot of my story, especially during high school and the first couple years of college, was just a lot of shame around my struggle with anxiety. And, you know, these thoughts of does does a struggle with anxiety mean that I'm not a good Christian? <laughs> am I am I not mm-hmm. trusting God? You know, when I when I feel this way, or is something wrong with me when I when I can't seem to shake this anxiety? And, you know, the more that I studied anxiety throughout scripture, I began to see it is overwhelmingly present in the biblical narrative. Like so many characters, um, biblical characters throughout scripture struggled with anxiety. Like I even think of David in the Psalms when he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Wow. And I think for my, um, just being able to make that shift between feeling shame over my struggle with anxiety um, to to learning how, like, this is not something that I'm supposed to stop feeling or stuff down. It's something that actually, that God wants to meet me in. And, you know, learning what it looks like to walk the Christian life is learning what it looks like to walk with God in anxiety, in addition to a lot of other emotions. And I think just being able to to see that this is something that that God is not um, wanting me to just stop feeling in order to connect with Him. He wanted to, He wants to connect with me in it. Oh my goodness, that is so just hopeful and helpful and thinking mm-hmm. about you know, people saying, oh, anxiety is new. It's nothing yeah. new, just like yeah. you said. It's tale as old as time. Well, you yeah. talk about not being alone and walking with the Lord, but your parents mm-hmm. have also been a yeah. big part of your journey. So uh, tell us about that and, and what did they do that was helpful to you? Yeah, so when I was in um, 
in my gap year program when I was 18, you know, I I had was really struggling with anxiety. I mean, eating disorder is also a big part of my story. So that had gotten also really, really kind of reached its worst um, when I was 18. But I hadn't been telling my parents what was going on. It wasn't necessarily that I wanted to to lie or to keep them keep it from them. I just I didn't know what was happening inside of me, and I wasn't sure how to communicate that. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember there was this day that I had gone to a clinic and just um, been diagnosed with clinical anxiety and an eating disorder. And um, you know, the 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 directors of the school had asked me to to tell my parents what was going on. And I was, I didn't know how to tell them. I didn't know the words to use and what the, the time differences. I hindsight 2020, I wish I probably would have done this differently <laughs> now. But looking back, I remember sitting in my hall in my dorm mm-hmm. and I pulled out my laptop and I wrote my mom an email. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and it was a subject line prayer request. And I told her. Oh my her, gosh what was going on. Yeah. And I didn't know how she would respond. I, yeah, I just kept checking my email and she responded that next morning and her words to me were so full of compassion and empathy. Mm. And it felt like when I was reading her email back to me that, that she was taking up the space next to me promising to shoulder this burden with me. And it was no longer mine, it was ours. And we were going to walk it together. And I think looking back on that moment, I needed to experience their witness with me. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate that my parents did that in that moment is that they didn't just try to take it away. They didn't just try to make it better. They were, they were with me in it. And they fought for me in ways that I haven't really begun to see or understand until now. And that included, you know, my dad hugging me um, at the treatment facility and walking out the front door. Mm. Like that that was part of what it was like, looked like to be with me in it and pointing me towards people who could walk with me in my anxiety, um, a healing from my anxiety and eating disorder in a way that they couldn't. That is so beautiful. And I think the important message for us as parents is that we hyperanalyze our kids' behavior in the context of mm. how did we fail as a parent? You know, what did what do I need to do? What are they hiding from me? But looking at your yeah. perspective that you didn't have the words to describe your experience. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the mm-hmm. privacy to say it out loud. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is so important, just mm-hmm. that they are walking with you in that space. Well, you share also a lot about your facade, that your face hurt from smiling. And how would you yeah. talk to that person now that's still behind that facade that has not had the courage to say, I'm not, I'm fine, I'm not okay? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, we all have different, you know, facades that we hide behind, I think. Um, And mine, like you said, was smiling. I never stopped smiling. I smiled until my face hurt. Like, I would just (laughs) smile all the time. And I think, um, you know, vulnerability is one of the bravest things that we can do. Mm -hmm. Because for me, um, when I thought about, you know, how I smiled all the time in my, in my head. Like I thought that's what, what kept me safe was hiding behind my smile. But I've learned that my smile is what actually keeps me disconnected from others. 
And so part of my story is learning how to come out from behind my smile and to to say to people, I need help. Like, can you walk with me? Like reaching out to that trusted person and saying, I need help. Because I've experienced it so many times in my own life. Those three words are some of the most freeing words that you can say. And so risking, risking those risking it and 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 reaching out to the to that trusted person in your life and saying I'm not okay I need help I'm not fine um that that was the first step and the most transformational step for me in my in my journey well I love how you talk about finding freedom there because it seems so scary to take that leap yes and I especially want you to talk about the inpatient treatment Mm -hmm. that you had because that is something that has a lot of stigma that really makes parents afraid and teens never want to go and sometimes parents have to act against their will but you said instead of feeling confined there it helped you find freedom can you speak to that yeah I was terrified to go to this inpatient treatment facility. I was so scared. I didn't know what to expect. It was my first time ever doing something like that. And I think walking in through those doors, um, I was just surrounded by people who didn't just want my honesty, but they were committed to it. Mm. Um, People that were trained to help me that genuinely wanted to help me and that knew my brain in order to help me. <laughs> and I think being in that space um, with people who were who were trained to walk in really specific ways with me in, um, in my own journey of healing um, just gave me the space and the freedom of, of saying I'm not fine and of healing in ways that I didn't think I would ever be able to. And of, you know, looking at my life moving forward and and learning what it looks like to not let, you know, I'm not fine being being a one-time thing, you know, when I'm on the bathroom floor, mm-hmm. but letting it being a thing for how I live my life and as a way to invite connection and community with others. Well, and through all of this, you really have a heart for Gen Z and the mental yeah. health crisis that you're facing. What do you want other generations to know about Gen Z and what you're facing and just what what is your message to this? Mm, yeah. Um, you know, when I think about stop saying I'm fine, you know, my my heart for Gen Z in this book is um that that I hope it it really provides practical handrails to dig into their own life story and the story behind their anxiety and to actually believe, um, to step into the to the truth that it is possible to live well inside of a story where anxiety is a dominant theme. You know, I, I'm so passionate about Gen Z and, and seeing them come awake to God and to themselves and to their story and to true connection with other people, you know. When I think about other generations, I, um, you know, Gen Z kind of has this stereotype of, you know, we're always on our phones, you know, yeah, and it, and they're even living on a on a college campus right now and, and talking, you know, every day with um with my peers and with other Gen Zers. There's so much going on inside of us, and we're actually willing to talk about it if we're asked. And I think that is what I would want other generations to know is that um, Gen Z wants to talk about 
their emotions and they want to talk about what's going on inside of them. So don't be afraid to ask direct questions. Don't be afraid to ask deep questions because we're longing to be mentored and we want to do something meaningful with our lives and and just coming alongside a Gen Zer and and not being afraid to to ask are you okay? Like to ask those deep questions because I think um, yeah, there's so much beauty inside of Gen Zers that um, that we will talk about. I love that because you think about, you know, the greatest generation that was stoic mm-hmm. and then the silent yeah. generation seen and not heard. And, you know, you fast forward to uh, Gen X, which is me, which is, we can yeah. do everything by ourselves. We hate meetings, you know, and I think yeah. it's, it's admirable that you have so much courage. And that is mm-hmm. an important takeaway. Don't be afraid to ask and to initiate yeah. that conversation. Yeah. Well, It is so encouraging to talk to you, Taylor, and we have arrived at the end of our program, and I'm (laughs) going to ask you the last question that we ask of every guest. If you could give just one piece of advice to parents looking for hope and building Mm -hmm. healthy relationships, what would it be? Yeah, when I look back at my own um, you know, story specifically with my mental health struggles and looking back and how my parents um, just walked with me and responded to me in those moments. Um, I would say um, don't ester- at, underestimate um, the power of loving eye contact. You know, when I look back on my story in those moments when I was angry or anxious or, you know, was scared and didn't know what to do. And, you know, in the middle of a panic attack, when I remember over and over and over again, my parents had love, kept a loving eye contact with me. That's how they looked at me. And regardless of what state I was in. So just, just keeping that in mind as you interact with your kids, like there is so much power in communicating love through your eyes. That is absolutely beautiful and tangible. It gives us Mm -hmm. hope because that's something that every parent can do. It's simple, but it's not easy. Well, Mm -hmm. Taylor, where can we find you and connect to learn more? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Taylor Joy. I also have a website, taylorjoymurray.co. And on my website, I actually, I have a course and a, and a small group guide that goes along, Stop Saying I'm Fine. So if you're looking for a way um, to just dig deeper into your own story of anxiety or, or resource, maybe a child or, or someone in your life who's struggling with anxiety, um, those are two resources that, um, yeah, that are offered on my website. Well, I love that. And I want to tell parents listening, everyone should buy this book. Every Gen Z, every parent, every grandparent, every person who is invested in the next generation. And parents, I want to tell you that I've read this book cover to cover. I actually (laughs) read it on a car trip in one sitting. I devoured it. I could not put it down. I think it's appropriate even for young teens. Taylor, you tell your story in a very Mm -hmm. gentle and developmentally appropriate way that would be encouraging even to younger teenagers. So the book is called Stop Saying I'm Fine, Finding Stillness When Anxiety Screams. Get it. Connect with Taylor. And Taylor, thank you so much for having the courage and the grace to share your story. Thank you. 
Wow, I love how Taylor just breaks down shame and stigma and makes mental health struggles so approachable and so relatable. It's time for Conversation Keys, where we explore health impacts and home strategies for relationship building. In chapter one of my book, Behind Closed Doors, I share with you the story of my daughter's struggle and my struggle to recognize and accept her mental health condition. I get it. I understand. It is hard. There are no quick fixes or magic cures. It's a journey with ups and downs, backwards and forwards, mountaintops, valleys, and plateaus. The statistics for Gen Z as a whole are sobering. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health condition in children and adolescents, affecting between 15 to 30 percent of youth. That means about one in three of you listening are likely experiencing this at home. Depression is a leading cause of disability among teens aged 15 to 19, impacting nearly one in five. Why is this happening? Well, humor me and get in my time machine to consider some historical context. Let's start with the greatest generation. Valiant and heroic, no doubt, but they came home from World War II with significant trauma. It was considered dishonorable to show weakness, so how did they cope? by closeting their emotions and adopting a stoic stance as their sacred duty. Next was the silent generation who raised their children to be seen and not heard. This brings in the baby boomers, the free love generation, who passionately advocated for peace, likely because in their ideal, peace would have prevented wartime traumas that made their parents and grandparents emotionally inaccessible. After that, we have Gen Z, that's me, by the way, who grew up in a world with working parents who generally had less time for their kids. Even for parents who stayed home, emotions were not encouraged, and Gen X learned the importance of autonomy and self-reliance. Gen Xers overcompensated in parenting and took a helicopter hovering or lawnmower mowing every obstacle approach. Unsurprising to anyone, millennials love and respect their parents, and they often don't want to leave them. For this, they are ridiculed, but Millennials also saw the dot-com bust and had extreme difficulty in the job market. This made them open, adaptive, and creative. Now we have Gen Z. These are our teens today, born from 1997 forward. Oh, that makes me feel so old, by the way. So let's take a moment to look at the world from their view. Here are six things about Gen Z. This is the first generation raised with the internet as digital natives. They have access to way more information than we did, and it's actually overwhelming, and it can be anxiety-producing. Number two, the world has never felt safe. If you're a boomer, do you remember where you were when JFK was assassinated? If you're a Gen Xer, do you remember the Challenger explosion? Millennials, do you remember where you were on 9-11? Gen Z was born in a post-9-11 world and recently endured COVID, a devastating social and moral injury to teens. They desire global connection, but they are afraid of violence and political unrest and financial risk. 
Number three, they're health conscious. They don't like their parents' drive-through fast food habits. They know the dangers of smoking. These social pressures tend to make them feel safer hanging out in online forums, but it makes them feel lonely and isolated as they avoid potentially dangerous or unhealthy situations while trying to be thrifty and save money. Recently, I tried to be the cool mom, which cool is not even cool anymore, but that was me. And I bought some junk food for my daughter and her friends. And there was a box of junk food sitting on the counter. And she told me, not that I was a cool mom, but thanks, mom. You bought me cancer and cute packages. (laughs) So there was that. Number four, Gen Z is the most diverse generation to date. They're more likely to be interracial or gender nonconforming. They have wider networks of friends. And when we were growing up, our friend groups were generally the same and the world looked like our neighborhood. Seeing hardships experienced by people all over the world is difficult for Gen Z. Number five, Gen Z is privacy conscious. They hate the pressures of always having to be Insta-ready or ready for social media, and they seek closer groups of friends where they can be authentic. They dream of being entrepreneurs, of having work-life balance, and relying on themselves for income rather than subjecting themselves to what they see as corporate greed. Last, they're prolonging childhood and staying home longer, waiting to get married and have kids. And that's actually consistent with biological development because teen brains don't fully mature until the early 20s. You may think this is interesting, but you wonder why am I talking about all of this in the context of mental health? Well, here's the good news. This may be the most innovative and resilient generation we have ever seen. They actually have the courage to engage in conversation about mental health in a way that all previous generations have refused to do. Each generation adopts unhealthy coping mechanisms, but Gen Z is simply saying out loud what we were too inhibited to say. They are saying, as Taylor so bravely said today, I am not okay. Here's your conversation key. Ask your teen. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being terrible and 10 being terrific, how do you feel about your mental health? What can I do to help support you to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally? Try it out and let me know how it goes. Thanks for tuning in to the Dr. Nurse Mama podcast, serving as your expert guide on the side to engage, equip, encourage, and empower you to navigate life's toughest issues with your teens. Tune in next week as we explore faith-based health impacts and home strategies to create a safe space in an unsafe world. Together, we'll find hope for healthy relationships. Connect with us online at drnursemama.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Nurse Mama. We'll see you here next week on American Family Radio.